The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Go ahead, Ephesians 5. Turn that up in your uh, copy of scriptures. Turn it on if you've got a digital copy in front of you. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. That is our text for this morning. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul. Remember, he's still continuing to show us how to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. He's just extremely, um, with extreme clarity, laying out the practicalities of what it means to be in Jesus. Okay? So these are... The words written by the Apostle Paul as he was carried along by the Holy Spirit so that the church might grow. Look at verse 15. Here's what he says. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if you, again, are the, uh, the note-taking variety, sermon title this morning is this, Be Filled with the Spirit. That's just the title for this sermon. It's being pulled directly out of verse 18 there, where Paul tells us not to do something and to do something. He says, do not do this, do not get drunk with wine, but do do this, obey this command, be filled with the Spirit. The main idea, again, for this morning is this, a healthy church walks in wisdom, a healthy church walks in wisdom and is filled with the Spirit. These are the two main commands that you see from the Apostle Paul to the church, we are to be wise walkers. That's a manner of walking that we are to have. But then we're also to be men and women in Christ who are filled with the Spirit. Okay? So that's the main idea. We're going to pray. Then we're going to dive into this text to see what the Lord Jesus Christ has for us. Okay? So let's pray. Father, I'm asking that you would do what uh, you command here. Be filled with the Spirit. So I'm asking that you would do that. So that as I seek to explain the scriptures, as I seek to expose the meaning here, as I seek to get us wet with the water of God's word, uh, that ultimately you would be there working, applying, instructing, exhorting, admonishing, moving, renewing our minds as we are influenced by the word, submitting to the authority of Christ as we submit ourselves beneath the word so that when it's all said and done, we would go out today having been grown and challenged and changed because Christ, you reign supreme in this time. 
Now, I don't have the authority to accomplish any of these things. That comes from our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I ask that you, Christ, would rule and reign over us even now. And that you, Holy Spirit, would fill and move so that we could say, along with those disciples on the road to Emmaus, did not our hearts burn within us as we sat under the authority of the scriptures there. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Well, the refrain has been the same refrain ever since we've rounded the corner into Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. It's think this way, talk this way, walk this way. This has been the thrust of Paul's instructions to the Ephesians. With extreme clarity, he has explained in his letter that the Ephesians, these Christians who are living in the city of Ephesus, they are in Christ Jesus but they are not in Christ Jesus because they've done good works to earn that grace. They are in Christ Jesus because Jesus is gracious and he loves to save sinners. Now, though, because they are in Christ Jesus, Paul has been saying that they must walk in a way that accords with good works. So we just it's that issue of getting the cart before the horse. You talk to people in the world today, and what they'll say is this, we need to do good works, and if the good outweigh the bad, that's what makes us right with Jesus. Paul is saying, no, that's, that's the complete opposite. You can't do good works to earn grace. Grace is freely given because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross, and to come to Christ and to be saved by grace through faith in him alone, that's what makes us right in Christ And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he says, because you've been created new in Christ, now go forward and do those good works. It's all about getting the right order. And that's just what Paul has been doing for us. He's been laying out ever since Ephesians 4, 1, what it looks like to walk in the good works that have been created beforehand because we've been created new in Christ Jesus. And we've said this several times now, right? This is how we imitate God. That's Ephesians 5, 1. He says, you imitate God when you walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. You guys can probably tell me by now. It's the four walkings, walking in unity, walking in purity, walking in love, walking in light. And now, for the last time, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he's going to take that walking word and say, here specifically is one more way in which you should walk according to the grace you have received. Paul says we are to walk in wisdom. That's point number one. I am to walk in wisdom as someone who has been saved by grace. That's verses 15 through 17. In a sense, verses 15 through 17, they are a little summary paragraph. And what they are doing is summarizing all that has gone before through chapter 4 and 5. Look at what he says there in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. You see, in order for us to imitate God as recipients of his grace, we must look carefully at how we are actually living. Paul is just simply saying there's two paths. There's something very Psalm 1-esque about this. There's two paths that are laid before us. And Paul is just saying either you are walking as unwise or you are walking as someone who is wise. 
And what he's exhorting us to do, what he's commanding us to do, is to examine ourselves. Look carefully. Look down. Look around. Like if you're supposed to be out hiking through the woods and there's a particular path that you're supposed to be on, what you do is you look carefully at how you walk along that path. You don't want to trip over something. You want to make sure that you don't stray off the path or whatever it might be. Paul is just taking that exact same imagery and laying it on top of the Christian life. He says, look. Carefully examine, are you walking on this path that is marked by wisdom? Because that is the path that those in Christ should be on. Proverbs 2 is good for this. We are to seek wisdom like one who seeks a treasure. Because the Lord God loves to give wisdom. And that's a good thing that the Lord God loves to give wisdom. Our God is not a stingy God. Far from being stingy, God is very generous to give what we lack. Some of us might go like, man, like, there's just areas of my life where I tend to lack wisdom. Well, here's the good news. Seek it like a treasure. God loves to give it. He's generous. He's not stingy. And because he's generous, because he's not stingy, this is good news as it relates to wisdom because you can go into the book of James and James, the brother of Jesus, tells us that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach promise and it will be given to you. That's good news for those of us who say, I want to obey this command to walk in wisdom. I don't always know what wisdom looks like. James says, ask the Father. But I'm lacking wisdom. If you've got a decision to make in front of you, you're like, I just don't know which path to walk. Father, I've soaked myself in your word. I'm just not quite sure what to do. Will you help me? The good father isn't going to be like, dude, figure it out. Sure don't know how you're going to crack this code. I'm stingy. I don't like to give good gifts. I'm a bad father. I'm not a good father. That's, that's not our God. It's not our God. Generous, not stingy. If you lack it, ask. He gives generously to all without reproach. And the promise is that it will be given to you. Now, what we should ask then is this question. What does it look like to walk in wisdom? Command, walk in wisdom. That's good. What does that look like? That's the question. The answer is verses 16 and 17. This is not an exhaustive thing, but Paul answers the question in the immediate context, walk in wisdom. Well, okay, Paul, what does that look like? He says, well, first off, it looks like this. Wise people use their time well. That's just verse 16. Wise people use their time well. If there is anything that is categorically true, it's that our days are numbered. Each and every one of us has a set number of days assigned to our life by God himself. Moses wrote a psalm, if you didn't know that, and that's Psalm 90. And in Psalm 90, Moses says this, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we just fly away. And so listen to what he says. So in light of these realities, he says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of what? Wisdom. Walking wisely with the set number of days that have been given to you is the good and right task that we should seek to obey as those who've been saved by grace. You see, listen, how we live with the time we have matters. 
How we live with the time that we have matters. This is why Paul says there, make the best use of the time that God has given to you. He says the days are evil, so we will need wisdom to know how to walk out those days that have been assigned to us. So he says, listen, don't be foolish. Don't don't fritter your time away with these these precious hours, these golden minutes, these these diamond seconds that have been given to us. Don't, don't, Don't fritter them away. No, no, no. What you should do instead is give yourself over to understanding what the will of the Lord is for your life, for those hours and minutes and weeks and months and days that have been given to you so that you will walk in a way that is wise according to the standard of God's word for those, for those times that have been given to you. So this is the second thing that wise people do. It's there in verse 17. Wise people understand the will of God. They use their time well, 16, they understand the will of God, verse 17. So what you need to know is that when he's saying this, seek to understand what the will of the Lord is, what Paul is doing is he's referring to God's revealed will. His will for you that can be discovered. His will for you which can be discerned. His will for you which can be understood. Question is, where do you find that at? You find it right here in this, the Word of God. The Word of God. That's where we are to go in order to understand what God's will is for us. Believers need to understand what God has called every believer to pursue, and we are called to understand what every believer is to avoid, which is why wise people are people of the word. Wise people are people of the word. Wise people are those who say, I need wisdom. I don't have all wisdom. He is the God who is ultimately wise. This ultimately wise God has revealed what I need to know. Second Peter chapter 1. Everything for life and godliness is found right here in the word. And so for us to be able to walk in wisdom and say, I want to obey this command, but here's what I'm going to do, this, 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 is ultimately to walk as a fool. And Paul says, don't be foolish, don't be unwise, be wise. Wisdom comes from saying, ah, God has revealed exactly what I'm supposed to do for life. God has given me everything I need to know for godliness in the word. So wisdom looks like being a student of the word, submitting myself to the word, soaking in the word, understanding the word, teaching the word, praying the word, sharing the word, learning the word, memorizing the word, wise People are people of the word. God's word is God's source for your growth. Man, I'm growing old after just seven years of pastoral ministry of people saying, I'm not growing like I want to grow. Have you been in your Bible? No. And sometimes it's like, man, like we shouldn't be surprised if our growth is slow non-existent or negligible if we're not submitting ourselves to the word. God's word is God's source for our growth. And as we sit under the influence of God's word, our minds will be renewed and our lives will be transformed. 
man, I can't get into this now. Just go back and reread Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17 and, and onward. What has he been saying? Put off the old self, put on the new self, but right in the middle of the putting off and the putting on, he says, here's what Christians are to be about. Minds being renewed. We've said this now multiple weeks in a row. Your mind matters. The way we learn the word, seek to understand the word, submit ourselves to the word, what happens is our minds will be renewed. And as our minds will be renewed, we'll go, ah, this thing that used to mark me out formerly should be put off. Oh, this new thing that I am in Christ should be be fought to be put on. And the way I know the difference between putting off and those things that should be putting on is because my mind has been renewed. My mind has not been renewed because I'm smart and intelligent and wise in and of myself. I know these things and I know the difference to wisely discern between the off and the on because of the word. The word. Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How does Christ-like transformation come? According to Romans 12.2, it comes by your mind being renewed. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is Paul making that huge applicational shift after 11 verses or 11 chapters of saying, this is who we were dead in sin. This is the greatness of Christ. This is what faith looks like. This is just all the doctrine of the good news of God's saving grace. And so he says, rounds in the corner, it's like, okay, so how are you going to march forward now, Christian? The temptation is going to be conformed into the image of the world, but we don't want to be conformed to the image of the world. We want to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. Your mind will be renewed, at least in Romans, as you camp on Romans 1 through 11. And so the question that I have for you is, comes right out of verse 15 there where he says, look carefully. My exhortation as your pastor would be this. Take the time to look carefully at how you're walking. When was the last time you just sort of like sat back, chilled, turned off your phone, detached from electronics, and just asked, how am I walking as a Christian? Ask yourself this question, and I would encourage you to write this down. And I'm I'm not just saying this to fill some space in my sermon. I really do encourage you to check this out or to ask yourself this question and seek an answer. The question is this, does God's word inform how I walk as a Christian? Does God's word really inform how I walk as a Christian? Now, this isn't hyperbole, what I'm about to say. This is a legit fear. My biggest fear is this. Too many of us as Christians are seeking to walk not according to the word. It's a big fear of mine. And all you got to do is reverse trace Romans 12.2. If we're not seeking to walk the Christian walk according to God's word, then our minds are not being renewed. If our minds are not being renewed, I'm not being transformed in the image of Christ. If I'm not being transformed in the image of Christ, Paul says something is going on, and and it's this. You are being conformed into the image of the world. And friends, you just got to know, Paul said it back over there in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. Don't walk as children. Don't be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, and on it goes. These are the things that seek to conform us. We know and are able to wisely discern the human philosophies, the ideologies of our age that seek to conform us into the image of the culture, into the image of the world by being wise because we're in the word and the word informs us that's a human philosophy that will lead us away from Christ. That's a human ideology that we should not submit ourselves to because it will lead us away from Christ. So what should we do? How should we think? Again, the word is our source 
for growth. Does God's word inform how I walk as a Christian? That's point number one. Now notice that as Paul continues, what he's going to do is give a key example of God's will for his people. Namely, that we are filled with the Spirit. That's point number two. I am to be filled with the Spirit. Verses 18 through 21. So it looks like this. 17, don't be foolish. Do do this. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Again, a question should be, well, is there an example of what it means to understand the will of the Lord? And in context, Paul's like, yeah, man, absolutely. Look at verse 18. Here is one thing the Lord wills for you. Don't get drunk. Be filled with the Spirit. Notice that verse 18 is couched in the language of commands. It ultimately functions as a transition into the last part of Paul's letter. What you're going to see over the next coming weeks is verse 18 is going to cast a very long shadow through the end of the chapter. I'm going to touch on this here in a little bit, but just think about it. He's about to talk about marriage, husbands and wives. How in the world are we to have a spirit-filled marriage? It's to be filled by the Spirit. How in the world are we going to be parents that don't rule harshly over children as they're filled by the Spirit. How are children going to obey their parents is as they're filled by the Spirit? How are servants going to work with their master? How are masters supposed to work with their servants? On and on and on it goes. He's like, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. You must be filled with the Spirit. That is how you are going to stand out differently. This is God's will for you. So notice the double command. I've said it already a couple of times now. Command one, do not get drunk with wine. Command two, be filled with the Spirit. So, part of God's revealed will, so you, you guys, are, you, you're intelligent, you're, you're picking this up. You're reading God's word. Here's a command. God, what do you want me to do? He's like, well, here you go. Don't do. This is part of my will for you. His will is that for all believers, we not get drunk. There's a way to be filled with alcohol that causes us to lose control. Lose control of our lives, lose control of our speech. Lose control of the way that we walk. Lose control of what we see clearly. Lose control of what we understand clearly. I'm trying to use specific words of what's just been going on here. He's like, listen, you need to understand what the will of the Lord is. If you get drunk with this thing and come under its influence, you won't be able to think clearly, see clearly, speak clearly, walk clearly. And this is all contrary to the fruit of the Spirit, which one of them is what? Self-control. Self-control. So in contrast, Paul says, be filled, but if you are going to be filled, be filled with the right thing, namely the Holy Spirit. To be filled with alcohol results in debauchery or reckless living, but to be filled with the Spirit, it results in something else entirely. What are those things? That's verses 19, 20, and 21. These are the results of being filled with the Spirit. First, we will speak in a way that builds up others in Christ. That's verse 19. This is a result of being filled with the Spirit. You see what he says there? Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, each of these little addressing and giving and submitting, these are all things that probably have a sermon assigned to them but I'm trying to stick with this idea of being filled with the Spirit. So I'm going to keep some of these explanations a little bit shorter here, not tease them out fully. What I want you to understand here is when he says, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing to the Lord, make melody to the Lord with your heart. Every one of us would admit that there's just times when this is hard and we just don't always want to do this. 
We want to wake up on a Sunday morning, we're grumpy, we got off on the wrong side of the bed, whatever the word is, you come in, Connor Dudley has a great set, liturgy worked out for us, and as he's leading us to worship God, sing, make melody, these sorts of things, here we are like this. Or sometimes it's like this. Because your heart's hard. Sometimes you just had an epic blowout with your spouse. And the last thing you want to do is make melody of the Lord with your heart because your heart is raging and seething and bitterness and anger towards the person standing next to you. I think one application out of this, verse 19, this effect, this fruit of being filled with the Spirit is that Paul just recognizes we don't always want to do this. Therefore, we need the Spirit to fill us, change us, so that we will walk in a way that is wise according to the filling and the leading of the Spirit. You guys get it. Second thing, it's verse 20. What's another fruit of being filled with the Spirit? We will give thanks in the name of Christ. Be filled with the Spirit, giving thanks, verse 20. Always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's easy to grumble and complain. I mean, how many of us had to go get a PhD in grumbleology? How many of us had to go get a, write a dissertation on proper ways to complain? We just come out of the womb wanting to do these things. It is easy for us. The passive inclination of our heart is to be grumbling complainers. The common bent of the human heart is to give thanks for nothing, to give thanks never. But a grumbling spirit is not compatible with the Holy Spirit, which is why giving thanks always and for everything is a, you can say it, spirit-filled task. I think that's just one way that Paul is addressing this. Look at verse 21. The third thing that we will see as a fruit of being filled with the Spirit is this. We will submit to others as we submit to Christ ourselves. We will submit to others as we submit to Christ ourselves. Be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, he says. Now, verse 21, what you need to know is also another micro-transition. Because verse 21 is going to inform what Paul says through the remainder of chapter 5, and it's going to inform down through verse 9 in chapter 6. Namely, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is going to inform how wives submit to husbands, husbands love wives, children and servants obey, fathers don't provoke, and masters don't rule harshly. It's all going to be seen through this lens of submitting. This is why I say submitting to others as we submit to Christ is a doozy, a doozy of a command there. For again, our natural inclination is to shirk submission and self-declare our authority. So the thought of submitting to one another in our marriages, submitting to one another in our parenting, submitting to others in our work, what this does is this causes us to rear up in our hearts. We say to ourselves, who in the world are you to tell me how to be a husband? Who are you to tell me how to be a wife? Who are you to tell me how to disciple my child or discipline my child? 
Who are you to tell me what to put in my body? Who are you to tell me what to do with my body? Friends, I'm telling you, there lies within the heart of every believer. Because notice that Paul is writing this to believers. What he's not saying is, man, all those people out there don't know Jesus. They need to be the ones to submit. He's looking at the believer, the born-again Christian, and saying, you need to submit to one another. So this is why I say what I'm about to say to you. There lies within the heart of every believer an inclination toward a porcupine spirituality. What do I mean by that? What's a porcupine do whenever something doesn't go its way? Bristles up, man. Becomes prickly. Stay away from me. Don't you dare come near me. I don't want you to do anything toward me. I'm telling you, latent within the heart of every believer is the ongoing process of being conformed in the image of Christ, which looks like submission to Christ, and out of the overflow of that submission to Christ, walking in submission towards one another in our marriages, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our work, in our parenting, and on and on and on the list goes. There is this latent porcupine spirituality that bristles at the thought of submission, which is why Every believer needs to be filled with spirit daily. Daily. Now, it's true that the Holy Spirit indwells believers forever. You've got to know your Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. What has he already told us? To be in Christ means you have been sealed with the guarantee of your inheritance. The guarantee of your inheritance in Christ has been signed, sealed, and delivered by the fact that the Holy Spirit indwells you right now because you are born again. And Paul says, while that is true, you also need to be filled with the Spirit daily. Be filled with the Spirit daily so that you can walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Man, I'm going to beat this over our heads here because just think about where Paul goes next as he continues his letter. How are wives supposed to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord? Do you know how explosively repugnant that phrase is in our culture today? Wives submit But Jesus says, through Paul, this is the way it is proper for wives to live in a Christian home. How in the world are you supposed to do that towards your husband who doesn't always look, act, think like Jesus? How do you even do it when he is looking, acting, and living like Jesus? Wives, he's going to, or husbands, he's going to tell us, are supposed to love their wives as Christ loved the church. The question is, how did Christ love his church? He loved them to the point of death. Husbands, we can be passive, apathetic nincompoops when it comes to being husbands. Husbands love to shirk the responsibility. It's the curse of Genesis 3. So how are we going to walk like Jesus? If you're going to be like, I'm going to do it, kick open the door and walk out and say, in my power and strength, I'm going to love my wife like Christ loves the church. You're foolish. You're not walking wisely. The wise husband knows this, oh Lord, to love my wife like Christ loved the church, I need you to fill me with the Spirit so that I will walk in a way that is worthy of the gospel so when someone sees me loving my wife like Christ loves his bride, they'll go, man, that sort of has the aroma of Jesus all over it. And you'd be like, yes, 
That's right, because the Spirit of Christ is filling me to do this right now. You guys get where it's going. How are fathers and masters not going to abuse their authority? How are children and servants going to obey again for like the hundredth time? It's going to come as we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. You guys are like, bro, we get it. We need to be filled with the Spirit. So here's the million-dollar question for, for you. How are we filled with the Spirit? The honest prayer, Lord, I hope some of you are asking that question. Because if Paul is saying, be filled, I'm hoping some of you guys are going, I want to be filled. So how does this happen? How does this happen? Well, let me give you the answer. Here it is. It should be up on the screen. Flash that up there. I will obey the command to be filled with the Spirit as I read my Bible and pray. Now, I can see some of your guys' faces, and it looks like Debbie Downer from Saturday Night Live right now. Because you're like, what? Read the Bible and pray? Like, that's it? Like, I thought you were going to give me some secret magic formula for, like, higher life living and all these things, like how to be, how to be filled with, with the Spirit. And I would argue that the Bible teaches us the way we obey this command to be filled with the Spirit is to read our Bibles and pray. Now let me connect this for you. Let me connect why this is the answer. You guys, you need to track with me here, okay? Because this is important. This is a command of Scripture for us to obey. I want to be able to lead you to walk in obedience to what the Scriptures say. Track with me. Notice the way Paul writes verse 18. Verse 18 is just a flat-out command. Be filled with the Spirit. This isn't optional, obligatory. It's something we are to obey. Be filled with the Spirit. But the unique way that he wrote this word reveals how we are to obey this command, to be filled. So on one hand, be filled is an authoritative command. It's an imperative for all you English grammar students. An imperative is a command. You go outside. You put out the dog. You, 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 right? So he's saying, you, be filled with the Spirit. That's an imperative. But while this verb in the original language is an imperative, what you also need to know is that the verb to be filled is passive. Meaning, it's not something we do, it's an action that is to be done to us. So what this means is that we do not fill ourselves with the Spirit, rather we are to be filled with the Spirit. And so the question is, well, how in the world is this going to come about? How do we actively obey a command that involves us to be passive? And the answer goes back to what should still be up on the screen there, but I just told you a few minutes ago. You and I will obey the command, actively obey the command to be passively filled with the Spirit as we read our Bible and pray. So first I say this, read your Bible because that's what Paul tells us to do in the parallel passage to our verses found in Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. You need to go read Colossians chapter 3 for your homework today. Colossians and Ephesians were written at the same time, delivered by the same man to two different churches. There's an extreme amount of overlap going on between Ephesians and Colossians. The parallel passage to these verses about being filled with the Spirit and the fruit that comes from being filled with the Spirit replicate themselves in Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. So what I'm about to tell you is this. We're going to let the Apostle Paul explain the Apostle Paul. 
If you're sitting here going, well, I don't know what it means to be filled by the Spirit. Is there anywhere else where he shows us what it might look like to be filled with the Spirit? And the answer is yes, Colossians 3, verses 16 and 17. So in the Colossians passage, what Paul says is this, the fruit of walking in wisdom sounds familiar to our text today. The fruit of addressing one another sounds familiar to today. The fruit of singing to the Lord sounds familiar today. The fruit of giving thanks to the Lord sounds familiar today comes from this. What you'd expect him to do in Colossians 3 is say, be filled with the Spirit. But guess what? That's not what he says. He says the fruit of wisdom, the fruit of addressing, the fruit of singing, the fruit of giving thanks comes as we, listen, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. It comes as we are in the word and the word of God is in us. So in Ephesians, when Paul says this fruit of wisdom and singing and addressing and giving thanks comes from being filled with the Spirit, but in Colossians, he says this exact same fruit comes about when the Word of Christ dwells in us. What he's not doing is saying, hey, some of us will be filled with the Spirit. We will bear this fruit. Some of us will dwell in the words of Christ and the Word of Christ will dwell in us, and this is how it will come. No, he's, what he's saying is, They are intimately connected. The way to be filled with the Spirit is to dwell in the words of Christ. When you dwell in the words of Christ and the words of Christ dwell in you, you will be filled with the Spirit. What Paul is doing here is he's explaining that the way we obey the command to be filled with the Spirit is by placing ourselves under the influence of the Word. So do you see what he's saying here? Man, this is so disappointing for some of us. Because what we want is for me or the Bible to say the way we obey the command to be filled with the Spirit is by insert some extreme charismatic moment, some extreme charismatic checklist of things to do. But Paul is interpreting Paul by saying, no, what I'm telling you to do is this. You will obey the command actively and you will be filled by the Spirit passively. The action will be done to you as you get up in the morning, get up at night, whenever it is, and say, I'm going to be not influenced by booze, by alcohol. What I'm going to do is be influenced by this. I'm going to be filled with this. I'm going to let this dwell in me. I'm going to eat it, read it, drink it, think it, memorize it, speak it, learn it, teach it, understand it. And Paul is saying, when the words of Christ dwell in you, guess what? The Spirit fills you. The Spirit fills you. So then, that's the first part, obey the command to be filled with the Spirit. As I read my Bible, notice how it continues. There's there's another reason why I say, and as we pray. So imagine that you're going, okay, I get it. Colossians 3, Ephesians 5, I obey the command to be filled with the Spirit when I'm influenced by the Word. So you start reading your Bible. And then what you begin to know is you read your Bible so that way that you can understand God's will for you, you're going to eventually come to different parts of the Bible where you have promises concerning prayer. So here you are letting the words of Christ dwell in you richly and you eventually come to a place like 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. If we ask anything, that's the language of prayer. If we ask anything, please listen. If we ask anything according to God's will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, because after all, we are 
asking according to his will. Listen to this promise. We know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So what have we just learned? According to Ephesians 5, verses 17 and 18. Verse 17 says, understand what the will of the Lord is. Verse 18 says, here's the will of the Lord for you. Be filled with the Spirit. I'm going now into 1 John chapter 5, and he says, listen, if you ask for anything according to God's will, well, I know what God's will is. God's will is for me to be filled. The connecting of the two is this. Ask him to fill you then. Because you're now praying according to his will, and the promise is as you're saying, God, it's your will that I be filled, I'm asking you to fill me, not only does God hear, but we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. So what this means is that we can ask to be filled with the Spirit, banking on the promise of God's word, that we have the request that we've asked of God because we've prayed according to the Father's will. And what do we know concerning the Father? Generous, not stingy, loves to give. You go into Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, the disciples are like, Jesus teaches how to pray, and he teaches them how to pray. Then eventually he comes to the end of that time of teaching about how to pray. And there he describes God as a good father, God who delights to give good gifts to his children. And in that chapter, Luke 11, starting in verse 11, Jesus says this, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a snake? Or if this son asks for an egg, will that father give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil, so he's about to make a lesser to greater than argument. He said, there's some dirtbag husbands out there, dirtbag fathers. But most of them are going to at least give good gifts to their children. And he says, if they are going to give good gifts to the children... How much more then will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I love how he goes right there to the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters in Christ, my hope this morning as this transitions us into the latter portions of Paul's letter is that you would know what promises we have in the Father concerning these things. What hope for being able to walk worthy of the gospel. Some of us are having troubles in our marriages and we've lost hope. Some of us are having trouble in our parenting and with our kids and we've lost hope. Some of us are having trouble in our relationships and we've lost hope. But I am telling you right now, there is hope for our marriages, there's hope for our parenting, there's hope for our relationships. And the hope is this, we have the hope of a spirit-filled, gospel-proclaiming walk that makes much of Jesus because our Father is good and generous, not stingy. He loves to answer prayer according to his will. You know what his will is for, for you is to be filled with the Spirit, so go to him and ask. Get into the Word, go to him and ask, and bank on those promises like you bank on that paycheck showing up each week in your, in your checking account. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we thank you so much. We ask that you would do according to your will, that you would work in us in a mighty, mighty way.
We need you every hour. Every hour, we need you. We need you to fill us with your spirit. We can't fill ourselves. God, thank you for making it um, known to us what that looks like, and that can look like letting the words of Christ dwell in us richly. I ask that you, Jesus, would convince us of these things. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, the band here is going to start playing, all right? And for a couple of minutes, we're going to give you guys a time to respond to what you've just heard. If you have not gotten the communion elements, there are some back there in the back on that table. We'd encourage you to go ahead and stand up and go grab some of those if you need to. But now's the time to be able to respond to the Lord by taking of the Lord's Supper. You're going to peel back those two little layers. One will reveal the little piece of bread. The other one will reveal that little cup of juice. And what's going on there with that bread and the juice is what you're just saying is this. When you take that piece of bread and you put it in your mouth and you begin to crunch it and chew it, the idea that's supposed to come to mind is, man, Christ's body was broken on that cross just like my teeth are breaking that bread. And then when you take that little cup of juice and you pour it out into your mouth, your mind and your heart is supposed to go, man, Christ's blood was poured out on that cross. And through the breaking of his body and the pouring out of his blood, I am declaring to those around me, Jesus has saved me. That's a proper way to respond right now to what we've just heard about the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. For some of us, what we'll need to do is just linger. Some of us, maybe we don't need to take the Lord's Supper because you're not saved. You might say, yeah, the blood, the body, that's true on the cross. But what I cannot say is I am trusting in Jesus alone and what he accomplished on the cross to save me. For you to take of the Lord's Supper right now would be a disconnect. You would be saying something outwardly with your body that is not true of you inwardly. And the Bible would say, don't do that. Don't do that. Your way to respond right now is to talk to Jesus. Talk to him. Jesus, what does it look like to be saved, to, to walk in a way that is right with you? That is the way I would encourage you to respond right now. And afterwards, the band will uh, play a song, we'll sing, and we'll respond, and then we'll get to go outside and enjoy some baptisms, okay? Love you, saints. However Jesus is leading you to obey, obey. Love you guys.